Father, we're thankful that we can come at this early morning hour and learn from your word. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would take the scriptures that we read, the material that we deal with, and first of all, give us the encouragement that we need for the day that we're going to live with you. We thank you for the day that you've given us, a period of time, Lord, where we can serve you, where we can work, where we can share with others, <clears throat> where we can have life with you living and walking with us. We pray, Lord, that you'll suit the verses that we read and uh, what, we get in, what we get into this morning to the individual needs of each one of us. We come, Lord, from uh, lots of different situations in life, various concerns that each of us has, and Lord, we need to lay them at your feet and cast our anxieties on you because you care for us. I just thank you that you want us to lay these things at your feet, that you're a God that's personally involved and concerned with each one of us. And so, Lord, we would quiet our hearts at this point and devote the next hour to you. And we ask you to minister your word to us through your spirit, who is our teacher. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. This morning, uh, I'd like to just take the topic of encouragement and spend the hour talking about that from three basic aspects. And uh, the way that it's going to basically go is that uh, we're going to talk about different ways that we are encouraged. And we'll also talk about how we can encourage one another. <clears throat> but I'm not going to have two divisions, so if you're taking notes, it won't be easy. Uh, because I want to interweave those two throughout what we say. Uh, many, many times you end up being the encourager or the encouragee, uh, which isn't a word, but you're either the one that's doing the encouraging with others or else you need it. Uh, a lot of times it's both, and uh, sometimes when you... And this is the ironic part of the self-sacrifice that Christ calls us to. When we do the ministering and the encouraging, we end up being the ones that uh, become encouraged. Uh, if you've ever visited someone in the hospital who's been sick, uh, a lot of times you can go there to cheer them up and to visit them, to, to give them uh, something from the Word, or just uh, to uh, spend some time sharing in various kinds of ways, just saying hello to a friend or whatever. And you leave the hospital room saying, huh, I don't know whether they were cheered up or not, but I sure got blessed. That's sort of a, a godly turnabout that happens when we are encouraged by others. So let me try to define what I mean, and then we'll look at a whole lot of scriptures that talk about it. I had a lot of fun working on this. Uh, when we talk about encouragement, we're talking about uh, to have hope, uh, to be moved to action, uh, to be brought up from a, a position of being uh, lost uh, or depression, <coughs> from the positive side of doing it, it's to give aid or to give help or to give hope, to help to bring someone up from discouragement. Um, it's to have whatever it takes to uh, continue on and not give up. Uh, it's really the opposite mood of our society, which is to despair, to be hopeless, to be worried, to be anxious, to be fretting all the time, to not know from day to day whether or not you're going to breathe tomorrow kind of thing. Um, it's basically to have the inner strength to do whatever you should do, whatever needs to be done at the moment. And to have a positive attitude about it. 
And of course, as Christians, our ultimate encouragement comes from the Lord. Uh, the Holy Spirit, one of the names for the Holy Spirit is that word that, is, that means encouragement, means comfort. Jesus talked about that in, in the book of John, that I'll send another comforter, and if I did not go away, he would not come. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter, the one that gives the encouragement. <clears throat> and it's the idea of running alongside and, and uh, rendering strength or aid. You get the picture of a runner in a race who is running, almost out of breath, ready to give up, and it's as though the Holy Spirit were running alongside saying, hang in there, it's almost, you know, you're almost at the finish line, don't give up, keep going. Uh, and his ministry to us is largely one of encouragement, largely one of giving us God's perspective. And that comes largely through the Word of God. And we want to look, first of all, the fact that we are encouraged and we give encouragement through God's Word. If you look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, we see that Paul wrote to Timothy and admonished him to give encouragement to the church through the Word. <clears throat> and of course, that's what we hope uh, the Lord will do this morning uh, in your life through what we do here. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 says, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now the teacher here is to give whatever it is that's necessary for the particular situation. And whether it's a word of rebuke or correction, uh, reproof, if it's a word of encouragement, uh, it's to be done with patience and with careful instruction. And a lot of times we find ourselves in the position of being learners, uh, as you are at this point. Other times we find ourselves being in the position of being teachers. Of course, you can think of your family relationships. If you teach a Sunday school class or you have individual time counseling somebody, a friend or... <clears throat> someone that you uh, want to really give encouragement to. Uh, it could be even sensitive explanations to an unbeliever. Uh, one of the ways that we can encourage un unbelievers is by uh, just sharing with them right at the moment the very thing that they may need at a given time. Um, and so as we teach, we're to do it with great patience. That's one of the fundamental things that's necessary for a teacher because learners are very slow. Uh, <clears throat> I'm slow to learn. I need to hear something a whole lot of times sometimes before I really catch the stuff that's there. That's one of the wonderful parts about cassettes. You can uh, hear a message as many times as you want uh, and you don't want to be dull of hearing. I'm not suggesting that you hear it until you can block it out. Uh, that's what the problem in the Hebrew... Uh, letter was, uh, in chapter 5, the writer to the Hebrews said, you guys have become dull of hearing. You ought to be teachers by this time, and you got the need to have somebody teach you the basics again. So we're not suggesting that you keep hearing a thing and not doing anything about it. But we are slow to learn, because when we hear, we partially do, because we don't recognize the ramifications of whatever it is we're hearing. And then as we grow in Christ, and we experiment with the truth that he gives us and put it into life, <clears throat> then God teaches us as we go all kinds of ways that it applies, different situations that it works in. Uh, looking into scripture, you see something uh, that applies to your life at a particular time when maybe a year ago you weren't even going through the situation and all of a sudden God reveals to you that you uh, have a need in an area. 
So God encourages us with great patience, but he wants us to be able to encourage one another with great patience. And um, if you have uh, children that are still you know, home and you're teaching them and all that kind of thing, it requires great patience uh, to teach and work with, with kids. And um, again, one of the parallels of this is just how patient God is with us, because we're his children. And uh, I want to be as patient with my, with my kids as God is with, with me. And uh, that's something God has to work in to our lives as we live with him and yield to his spirit and his word. But we're to have patience within the teaching that we do. Look uh, at Titus chapter 1, another verse that deals with this. Titus chapter 1, verse 9. <clears throat> and we've, in the first part of uh, Titus, Paul is urging him to uh, ordain elders for the leadership of the church there. They've got a fair-sized task ahead of them because of the doctrinal errors that were in the churches of Crete as well as the fact that the character of the Cretans was uh, that of being liars and cheats and thieves and all kinds of things. So Titus was to be very careful in choosing leadership. Verse 9 of chapter 1 continues to talk about one of the other uh, qualifications of a leader, an elder within the church, uh, churches there. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he may encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose him or who oppose it, the doctrine. Now here we have uh, a double thing going on. First of all, the teacher needs to be firmly established in the word. Uh, if I'm going to give a word of encouragement to you or if you're going to give a word of encouragement to me, uh, and it's going to be biblically oriented, we need to know what we're talking about. Uh, God doesn't want us to just sort of give uh, half-handed, off-handed, uh, little biblical uh, platitudes. Uh, that's also where you end up with the myth that God ever said, uh, God helps those who help themselves, that kind of stuff. Uh, we sort of mix up God's Proverbs with Ben Franklin or whoever, and uh, it gets confusing. And we need to be careful that uh, when we speak, if we're claiming it to be the Word of God, that it really is the Word of God. Uh, and it doesn't mean you have to be a scholar or any of that sort of thing, but we need to have the Word of God in our hearts so that we can share it as a part of the encouragement that we do. Um, but it also means that as we're firmly established in God's Word, then we can help to encourage others uh, by sound doctrine. Uh, and, and that's really an important thing. Uh, so many times people become discouraged because they're unsure about what they believe in the Lord. I can't even begin to tell you the countless people that I've talked to who are unsure of their salvation. Uh, people who are unsure about the doctrine of God's forgiveness in their life. People who are unsure about heaven and what God has said about it and hell and what God has said about that. People that are unsure about whether or not the Bible is really the Word of God. People who uh, are unsure about you know, their future uh, in terms of career and, and doing God's will and what God's plan is uh, for their life in their work and so forth. People who are unsure about so many, many things and the encouragement they need isn't so much uh, just a small word of encouragement. They need to be cleared up or, or given grounding in the doctrine of the Lord. And you share with them what the Word teaches, and you, know, you balance it out with the Scriptures on all different perspectives of it. And they become encouraged because they say, Oh, man, thank you very much. 
I now know what the Lord says. Uh, it can be a thing about, you know, business, like we talk about so many times here in, in the class. Uh, we've been doing, you know, the financial uh, end of things. It, it gives you a tremendous amount of relief to know what the Lord says so you can apply it and practice it. Nothing worse than not knowing whether or not you're doing what God wants. And so many times just knowing what the Word says can clear that up. Um, and so often someone who knows God's Word can encourage us just by teaching good, sound, solid doctrine from the Word. And also the elder here is told, told to... Um, refute the opposition deal with with the opposition that's there look at Titus chapter 2 as long as we're in the book of Titus chapter 2 verse 15 Titus chapter 2 verse 15 and we'll have to set the context here a little bit but uh, we'll try to do that Titus 2:15. these then are the things you should teach encourage and rebuke with all authority do not let anyone despise you. Uh, Paul said the same thing to Timothy as well. Don't let anyone despise you because of your youth. I don't know whether Titus was young or not, but a leader always has uh, people who despise him. And uh, Paul said, don't let anyone do that. So he was not only to encourage and rebuke and so on with authority, but he was also to, to deal with those who despised him. Um, the main point here, however, is that uh, he says these things then are the things that uh, you ought to teach and the first question we need to ask is well what things is he talking about you're coming in here at the end of, of a big long passage and it's true so how do I encourage how do I rebuke how do I say to, to people what they need to hear uh, what things do I need to encourage them with well if you go back to the beginning of chapter 2 we can start there uh, of, of the book of Titus. Uh, we won't read the whole thing, but you can just glance at it. Uh, he has instructions there which are designed to encourage older men to live a certain way before God, and instructions designed to encourage older women to uh, live lives that are uh, worthy um, and holy before God. There's instructions to younger women, and by and large their teachers are to be the older women. And then there are instructions there to younger men uh, and also to slaves or those that are workers. There are instructions that God gives to them. And then in verse 11, there's sort of a summary statement from verse 11 all the way to verse uh, 14 uh, of the kind of things that will encourage uh, a congregation of people, a whole group of individuals. And if, again, if you happen to be a teacher of a Sunday school class or you have any kind of responsibility at all in teaching the word publicly, uh, or in, in the case of, of private teaching, just in terms of uh, individuals or your family or however. Uh, these are some of the things that we need to encourage one another in. And, and again, you notice it's not just saying, cheer up, things will get better. Uh, I remember George Ferguson always used to say, it'll get better, you know. And uh, it did for George. He's with the Lord so uh, in person, so it got better. But the point is, uh, in verse 11, we, we have sort of a summary statement here of the basic lifestyle of, of the Christian and the way that we can be encouraged, and we'll allude back to part of it later on. Verse 11, this ought to encourage you. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions 
and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, if you look at that, you have all kinds of encouraging stuff in there. Uh, just kind of taking it apart a second, we, we right away see that the grace of God that brings salvation uh, has appeared to all men. Now, that's an encouraging thing, that what was hidden from the ages past, what the prophets desired to know, and all the rest of it, God's grace has now been revealed. The doors are open. The mystery has been, has been revealed. You ever read a mystery book and you, you wait and wait and wait and wait for the solution? They always give it to you in the last chapter or the next to the last chapter. Um, I can't do what Paul does. He reads the end first. I, I can't do that. I, I just does something to me. So I have to read the thing from the beginning. But the suspense builds. If, if you're a good mystery writer, the suspense builds. The Bible is somewhat like that in terms of the fact that at the very beginning of Scripture you have just a peek into um, how God is going to redeem us from sin. Uh, you have the creation and then you have the fall. And there's, it's that tremendous tragedy in Genesis chapter 3. You read the first two chapters of the Bible and you're just amazed at God's creation. You're amazed at the uh, creation of man and woman and the, the task that he's given them to do and the, the love that they share, the openness that they have and all the glory of it. And when, when you stop at the, at the end of Genesis 2, uh, you're at the threshold of a tragedy and you don't even know it, you know, unless you've read the book before. Uh, but you're going, oh, what a wonderful thing. God is a creator and he created the world and all that is in it and the animals and the birds and the tremendous variety of stuff that there is to enjoy. And then he made man and woman in his own image and gave them the command to multiply and be fruitful and replenish the earth and to control the earth and subdue it and all this kind of thing. And in chapter 2, there's the whole detail of Adam being by himself and God saying, hey, that's bad news to be by yourself. I'm going to make you someone who is a helper to you that, that's going to... Uh, be your counterpart that will add and be suitable to your life. And, and Adam goes to sleep and God builds Eve and then Adam wakes up and says, ooh, that's free translation there. It basically means, this is what I've been missing all my life. This is, this is it. This is someone I, that I answer to and she answers to me. And, and, and there, there's that, that completion aspect. And so for the cause of marriage, a man will leave his father and mother and become one with his wife and so on. And at the end of that thing, you... It says they were naked and open with one another and not ashamed and all of that. And you say, wow, perfect fellowship, perfect environment, perfect relationship with God. And then in Genesis 3, Satan gets into the picture and you go, oh, you know. And so there's this tragedy that happens. And all the way through the Old Testament, the prophets, the uh, kings, the men of God, all the way through, sought to know what God was going to do. And there were hints all the way along, progressively, of the mystery. And when you finish with, with uh, the Old Testament, you've learned that God is going to send a deliverer, a Messiah, one who is on the throne of David and who will deliver his people and all that. And you've, you've read through Isaiah and, and you're just waiting. And then Christ comes as a baby in a manger and lives and dies and rises again. And as the church begins, what do you see? You see the grace of God. 
that the, the God of the universe came as a man and gave his life for us. And that we're no longer under the curse of the law, but we're under the grace of God that brings salvation to all men. Now that's encouraging. That's a sound doctrine that says, oh yes, all is not lost. Praise the Lord for his grace. And God's grace also is involved in our daily lives as he provides us with all the energy and the strength and whatever it is that we need at the moment. Um, and so that's part of the encouragement. Part of the encouragement also is teaching us to say a good solid no to our old nature, to the ungodliness and the worldliness and the passions that, we, that we're subject to by our old nature and to live self-controlled lives, upright and godly lives with God in this present age. And then in verse 13, we have the, the waiting for the blessed hope. That's another thing that we're to encourage one another with. First Thessalonians 4 says that, that we're to encourage one another with the fact that Christ is coming back. So here's a world where the primary mood is despair. They're all waiting for the mushroom cloud to come, and if it isn't that, it's the earthquake. And I remember a few years ago, it was Skylab was going to fall on somebody. I don't know if any of you remember Skylab. Uh, but anyway, if you don't, that just shows you how temporary it all is. Uh, you know, modern man is always worried about something because there's no security. And uh, it isn't only modern man. Man without God has always been uh, insecure and worried about, you know, all the stuff that's going on. Um, we're waiting for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That ought to be encouraging. Uh, Jesus is coming back and we'll be with him for eternity and uh, then in, in verse 14 it says that he gave himself for us to redeem us out of wickedness we've been bought out of our old life and then it says he's going to purify for himself a people that are his very own which means God's going to purify me so that I'll be uh, fit for heaven and in Christ, that's really already been done. But in my life practice, God's in the business of purifying me. That's encouraging. It means no matter how much I fail and no matter how I feel uh, unworthy before the Lord in my practice, God has committed himself to purifying my life. And then it gets practical. Purifying for himself a people who are eager to do what is good. So it turns all the way around to the point where God says, now that you know my grace, now that you know my salvation, now that you've said no to your worldly passions and lusts and, and uh, denied your flesh, now that you're waiting for the blessed hope to, to return, which is my son, and now that you know you are people purified for God's purposes, then do what is good. Do what is good. That's encouraging. So there's, there's so much that, that's there. And Titus was told to encourage his people by all this teaching going on. And that's probably one of the reasons why we, we have all this teaching going on at Valley Church. Because our desire is to encourage one another. Um, and I'm not suggesting that you go around and just sort of uh, say, I'm a teacher and here I go, I'm going to encourage you. You know, you don't just dump it all over everybody. There needs to be a platform where you, you teach. There's a right time to teach and a time to be quiet. But... One of the ways that we are encouraged is through the public ministry of the Word of God. And, you know, one of the things that always amazes me when I talk to a person in counseling who is out of fellowship with God is one of the first things that he or she says to me is, 
I haven't been spending time in the Word. I've neglected time each day in God's Word in my own, my own life. And I'll ask them a second question, which generally I already know the answer to, and that is, uh, have you been involved in the life of, of the fellowship? Have you been coming to the services? Have you been involved in the exposure to the teaching of the Word? Have you had time to share with fellow believers what's going on in your life? And usually the person says, no, I haven't been involved in church either. Well, you take away the daily ministry of the Word of God in your life, and you take away the fellowship and the exposure to the public teaching of the Word of God in your life, you're going to get discouraged. It's just axiomatic. Um, and, uh, you know, however it is that God leads us in our life, we need to be in His Word, and we need to be able to be exposed to the teaching of God's Word in a public sense. But in terms of a practical application in your private life, God has given you people that you can encourage through the teaching of God's Word. Your family, uh, friends that you know, people maybe at work, young baby believers that you know that need to be encouraged. Um, and there are a lot of ways that you can encourage them, but the first one that we're talking about at this point is through the actual ministry of the Scripture. And as I said before, so many times you can put a person's mind to rest by sound doctrine. Uh, and sometimes that word of encouragement ends up being a prod or a word of rebuke. Uh, it, it can be a lot of different things. But it sets them right with God. And frankly, there's no worse discouragement than being out of fellowship with God. There's no greater encouragement than knowing that you're right with God and you have peace in your soul because you know that you and the Lord are, are in fellowship with each other. Uh, about the first four years of my Christian life, I guess, I was a roller coaster Christian, sort of a ping pong person. I was in fellowship with God and then I was out of fellowship with God and then I was in fellowship with God and I was out and I wasn't sure how to get back. Uh, I didn't have a whole lot of teaching from God's Word and um, there was one program that was the great encouragement in my early Christian life and it was the Back to the Bible uh, radio program that was on. They had a youth program, they still do, a youth program once a week and um, I would listen to that and become so encouraged by it, try to deal with all the junk in my life that was wrong and move on from there. I had some fabulous prayer times with the Lord during, after the program. I'd turn off the radio and get down by my bed and pray and boy oh boy, you know, it was, it was unbelievable. Uh, I felt joyful and clean and unburdened and at peace with God because I dealt with my sin. The only problem is I never knew about the fact that you needed to confess your sin when you do it, not a week after. So Saturday night when I heard the Back to the Bible, I'd confess my sin and say, Oh, I feel clear with the Lord again. Praise God, man. I'm really going to live for you this week, Lord. Oh, yes, indeed. It's going to be one of the greatest weeks of my life and everything else. And uh, it didn't take very long before something happened in my life and I failed God. And the Holy Spirit was very faithful to tell me, John, you sinned. I say, oh, God must not like me anymore then. And I was under the wrong doctrinal impression that God's favor in my life was dependent upon my performance as a Christian. And after a while, I just sort of gave up. And down the pike a whole ways, God sent me some people who shared with me that when you fail, you agree with God that what you did was wrong, you thank Him for forgiving you, you believe by faith that you are forgiven, and then you stand up and walk with God again and keep in step with the Holy Spirit 
And understand because you're human, you'll fail again. I don't know any Christian that's ever claimed to not fail God ever, because we do. But what it means is you don't have to wait till the Back to the Bible broadcast on Saturday nights to get right with God. You know, oh man, was that ever sweet? Because, you know, I still failed God, and I still do fail God. You know, I, some dumb things that, that I say and do, you know, you just, oh, unbelievable. <laughs> just like you. Because uh, we're all trying to grow. We're all progressing in our walk with the Lord. But we don't have to wait till the next Saturday night. Wouldn't it be horrible if you're out of fellowship until the only time, wouldn't it be horrible if God wrote in Scripture, uh, the only time you can regain your fellowship is Saturday nights. Man, you know, because sometime on Sunday, I'm probably going to botch it up somewhere. And it's not that you swallow a quick confession pill and walk on. You know, we need to kneel in our hearts before the Lord and be sorry for what we've done and, and really turn away from it and confess it before the Lord. But we're so imperfect and God is so holy, we need to keep in mind the fact that the only righteousness, the only holiness we have is from God himself. And the only way to a mature life and a life where we're not on the roller coaster is to rely on God's producing it in us. Holiness is not our capacity to imitate God. It's God's capacity to live his life in our, in our lives. And there's no way in the world that I'm ever going to be in this life perfect. Uh, in the sense of always, always practicing what I ought to do. We botch it up too much. And so if I know the sound doctrine that God loves me, that he'll forgive me 70 times 7 in one day for the same pick and sin, uh, that's got to encourage me. Because I'm supposed to do that for my fellow brothers, and God's forgiveness is certainly uh, greater than any forgiveness that I could possibly you know, have. And again, that doesn't mean that we just say, oh, God will forgive, so I'll go ahead and sin. I've heard that from counselees. Oh, God will forgive me. So what? That's a misunderstanding of the holiness of God, and it's also a misunderstanding of how horrible sin is, and it's a misunderstanding of forgiveness. There's a whole lot of hassle there. Just wrong doctrine that way. But the point I'm trying to make is that through the solid teaching of the Word, all kinds of awful things can be cleared up. Uh, and sometimes you can take things that are happening in the world and minister to unbelievers with the encouragement of God's Word. You can minister to Christians with the encouragement of God's Word. Uh, you get discouraged. Listen to the news, read the newspaper. Uh, any, all kinds of different stuff can discourage us. Plus, Satan wants to discourage us anyway. We're not really going to talk about discouragement per se this morning, but a lot of forces out there designed to just drag us down. Uh, and so God, through the Spirit, tells us, be in my word, both in private and in public, and be encouraged yourself, and then spread that around. We need to spread the encouragement around. Let's look at a bunch of verses that deal with something else, not so much the encouragement from Scripture. Let's talk about encouragement through self-sacrifice. If I'm going to encourage you, if you're going to encourage me, it's going to cost a little bit. Let's see here. What do we want to do? Let's go through... Uh, Philippians chapter 2, that's a good place to start. Philippians 2, 1 through, well, 1 through 4, we'll elude to the rest of it. Pray right now because there's some deep theology in here, and if I get off on this, we'll never get through. <laughs> Philippians 2, 1 to 4. This is a sweet passage uh, on encouragement. 
And it connects all this sound doctrine that we've got to real Christian living and, and um, just the whole ministry we have to one another. Am I pushed forward too much or something here? I feel like I, I don't know how to aim at you guys over here. <laughs> Are you off center or am I off, man? I don't know. Okay, because he's on my ear. I'm trying to figure out, how do I get over here? <laughs> okay, I don't want to leave anybody out. Anyway, I'm going to... Does that work a little better? I feel kind of... Okay, I feel off center. People have told me I'm always a little lost. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Philippians 2, 1 to 4. If you have any encouragement from being in, united with Christ, and the obvious thing is, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and we do, if any comfort of His love, and there is, if any fellowship with the Spirit, and there is, if any tenderness and compassion, and there is, then make my joy complete uh, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Some translations say more important or of higher priority than yourself. Verse 4, each of you should look not only on your own interests, but also on the interests of others. And then verse 5 says, Let the attitude that you have be the same as the one that Christ Jesus had. We're talking about humility here, but it's all tied up with this encouragement kind of, of thing. So here you are, and you're involved in the life of the body of the church in terms of fellowship. And this whole thing is... is uh, dealing with comforting one another and encouraging one another, ministry to one another in terms of uh, Christian fellowship. In verse 1, you have the ground upon which everything else is based. If you didn't have verse 1, then all you'd have was a lot of, would be a lot of what I call Christian mush. Okay, it, what I'm trying to say is if you take away the, the, um, the encouragement from being in Christ if you take away the comfort of His love, if you take away the fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and if you take away the compassion and the mercy of God, it would be absolutely ridiculous to say, uh, Church, I want you to make me completely happy by being of one mind, of one accord, having the same love for each other, and being one in spirit and in purpose. That's what people who uh, are more in the liberal persuasion of, of what's called Christianity, try to do. Without the Lord, without the Spirit, without the Word, they try to have oneness. Uh, and you can't do it. The oneness that we have comes from what's in verse 1. Well, how can I be one with you? How can I have that, that unity, that deep fellowship that we're talking about? Well, first of all, it's because I know that there's encouragement from being in Christ. There's a doctrinal basis for the whole thing. You and I know that we are united with Christ, that we're one with Him, that we're His children, that everything that Christ is going to inherit, we're going to inherit. And we're all going to be there when God reads His will, and there's not going to be any fighting over the estate. Uh, we're all going to inherit what belongs to Christ. We have a future. And we've been made righteous through Christ. And so there's this tremendous encouragement that comes from being united with Him. That's the doctrinal base of the whole thing. We know we have comfort from God's love. God's perfect love casts out fear because the fear comes from being afraid God's going to torment us. And when we realize that God loves us perfectly, we love Him back. 
we love him because he first loved us. And unless we realize what kind of love God has for us, it's hard to love God because we don't know who we're loving. And the other thing that, that our unity is based upon is a fellowship in the Spirit. And then it results in the mercy and the compassion and so on. So all of this like-minded stuff that's in verses 2, 3, and 4 has its foundation in what we know. Um, it's like Romans 6. He keeps saying, don't you know, don't you know, don't you know? The knowing is so important here in terms of what follows. So if I know that I have encouragement from being united with Christ, and if I know that I share in the love of God, if I know that I have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, if I know that, that I have tender mercy, compassion for you, whatever it is that God gives to me, and we all share in the same, the same thing, then we can, as it were, make Paul's joy complete, make God's joy complete. Uh, if you will, uh, you can make your pastor's joy complete. Uh, nothing makes a pastor, a minister, happier than to have a unified, like-minded uh, group of people who really, really love each other and who are one in spirit and, in one, and one in purpose. I mean, think for a minute of what a congregation would be like if it were completely this way. Uh, we always have less than the ideal because churches aren't perfect. People always say, I'd like to have a church like a New Testament church. We need to get back to the days of the early New Testament. Which one would you like? Uh, first, you want Corinthians? You want to be like those guys? Uh, how about Galatia, who are all mixed up with the law? Uh, or you, you could be like um, the Thessalonians, who there were people in there that were stopped. They stopped work because uh, they were waiting for Jesus to come back. So they said, well, why should I get an insurance policy? Why should I do any work? The Lord's going to come back any day. I might as well cool it. I'll go mooch off of Sam Jones over there. And it uh, won't work. Uh, would you like uh, the Colossian church that didn't know, some of them didn't know whether or not Jesus was really the Son of God or an angel or who he was. And they were all mixed up about legalism and, and all the things that were involved with that. Uh, would you like to be one of the churches in Revelations 2 and 3? Lose your first love or get cold and lukewarm, uh, uh, whatever. You know, all, all of us who are involved in a local congregation, uh, there are problems within a church, partially because we're there. Uh, if there was a perfect church and I went there, it'd be not perfect. Um, I got more ways of tearing it up than anything, man. I found all kinds of ways of doing things. So the point, though, is not how to tear a church up. The point is that once we're grounded in the, in the basic stuff of verse 1, then uh, we're commanded to uh, be in unity and be like-minded and have the same purpose. And the way that that comes out in practice, then, is verses 3 and 4. And again, this is all involved in encouraging one another. That we don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain glory or vain conceit. But in humility of, of mind, we consider others to be better or more important or more in priority than ourselves. And not look just on our own interests, but also seeking to uh, look on the interests of others and help the other person. So, it means that we share with each other what Christ has given to us. We share his love. We share his fellowship. We share his encouragement. We share the ministry of the Holy Spirit with each other. We look to him as the example and the rest of uh, 
the verses down, down in Philippians 2, uh, 5 through 11 talk about the example of the humility of Christ. Uh, we look at Christ's example of taking the, f the form of a servant then uh, in order to uh, provide salvation for us. And that's the example that God gives for us to provide encouragement. Okay, this next one's one that I love. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. I, I love the verse. I don't know if I like the, uh, the, the process. <laughs> okay. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. And this is one of the most major, major ministries in the church. Um, after you get through with these two verses, it means you're now on the visitation committee. <laughs> Alrighty. Verse uh, 3 and 4, 2 Corinthians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have, been, have received from God. There's so many comforts in there, you've got to translate but here's what he's saying, and this is why the process is harder to go through than the verses. We can read the verses and go, oh, wow, that's wonderful truth. Oh, boy, that's great. Uh, the living out of it, uh, at first anyhow, seems to be kind of not so good. One of the reasons that God allows us to go through trouble is so that we can know his comfort and his love and his provision in that problem and then God turns that around and shares it with others. Uh, if you want to learn to be a comforter, if you wanted to learn to be somebody who really gives uh, encouragement to others, you don't go to school to learn it. You can't take Comfort 1A, uh, you know, Encouragement 101, uh, all that kind of stuff. God has a school to learn how to be a comforter. You know what the school is? It's going through trouble, receiving comfort and encouragement and consolation from God, and then coming out of that trouble and praising God through it. And the next time you see a brother who is going through the same trouble, you jump in and provide him or her with the comfort that God gave you. So it's sort of like comfort is a, a stream that flows out of your life. It's it's something that flows on from what you received and you just share it. You just pass it around with others. Notice it's God's comfort. You don't have to crank it up in yourself and say, well, I've got to comfort this person even though I haven't, you know, uh, anything to say. The whole thing is, is what God has shared with you. Um, sometimes you don't even need to speak or give a whole lot of words or anything. It's just being there. Uh, there have been some times when we've had situations in, in our life where uh, no one has come and necessarily given a sermon or given any word even, but just by being there, it makes all the difference in the world. Um, husbands, one of the things that you can provide for your wife in terms of comfort is just to listen, to just be there uh, and let her talk and share with you the things she's going through. Um, same thing with the kids if you have children, just to be there and listen. Uh, we get these neighborhood fights once in a while. I can't ever separate, uh, straighten them out. But you get 
five stories coming through. You know, Proverbs says, any story sounds okay until you hear the other side. Well, there's five sides to this one. <laughs> and I, you know, I only, uh, boy, it gets confusing. So, you know, here I am, cooling it, you know, relaxing, reading a book or something, and my kids barge in the door. Well, that's sin number one. You don't barge in the front door and slam it because it scares daddy and all that. But anyway, they barge in the door, and I'm really in the mood to listen. And you get these five sides to the story. Well, I had the ball, and then he said I was out, but I wasn't out because it was safe. And then the guy says, no, that wasn't right, and everything else. And I'm going, okay, hold it, hold it, one at a time, please, one at a time. Uh, you know, and so we try to get through the situation. Uh, but it's absolutely crucial for them at that point that I'm there. Now, sometimes I turn it around and say, hey, uh, work it out yourselves. <laughs> I don't want to deal with it. And sometimes that's the very best solution. Uh, they can learn to solve conflicts at that age, then maybe uh, they won't beat on each other when they're married. Uh, you know, if they can learn how to deal with problems as children, then when they're adults, they know how to work through conflict and solve it and talk it out. And uh, that really blesses my heart when I hear my kids talking and trying to solve through a fight and they work out some compromised solution. Well, if we do it your way for 10 minutes, can we do it the other way for 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes? It's usually that way, you know. If we do it your way for 10 minutes, can we do it my way for half an hour? You know. <laughs> but, you know, you, you kind of go through to the bargaining table and work out some sort of arrangement with a thing. But the encouragement comes from just being there. And I, you know, I imagine uh, sometime... Uh, one or more of my kids will say, you know, Dad, I remember when we were littler, we had some of the dumbest arguments and fights in the world, but thanks for being there when we, when we needed you. I hope sometime they say that. You always wait for these pearls of stuff, you know, or a letter, we sure love you, you know, or whatever. And once in a while, you know, those kinds of things come. Every once in a while, uh, my wife arranges, uh, this is for free, it doesn't have anything to do with the lesson, but I have to share it anyway. <laughs> because I'm up here and you can't do anything about it. Uh, every once in a while, uh, my wife arranges a hooray for daddy party for me. And those are fun. I love them. I'm sorry, but I just lap that up and say, oh, yes, you know, anytime. And uh, they build a special dinner and dessert and the whole thing. And then they put in little coffee mugs, uh, little slips of paper saying why we like dad or why dad's special or any kind of hash. And... Uh, they, they, you know, come up with all kinds of, we love you because you're weird, or we love you because you study the word with us, or we love you because, uh, you know, you're one thing or another, I don't know what I am. They always think of things. Uh, and that's an encouragement. And so those kind of moments you get every once in a while, and sometime maybe they'll write in there, Dad, we love you because you listen to our squabbles. Uh, I should probably be balanced and say sometimes I don't listen at all. Sometimes I say, hey, I don't want to hear it, get out. You know, you've been doing this all day. Forget it. You know, would you never listen, Dad? That's not true. I do, too. And don't carry it any farther. You get into a big argument about whether you listen or not. <laughs> Who needs that? Man, sometimes you can escalate the thing all, you know. Wars, you can, you can learn a lot about wars by just dealing with family squabbles. The family that fights together bites together. I don't know what it is, you know. But, man... So when you do it right, though, aren't you glad, you know, when you don't botch it up? Man, I, I really oh, made it through another one, you know. <laughs> uh, but um, that's, one of the, that's one of the constant prayer requests that I have is, Oh, Lord, help me to do the right thing when there's some kind of a squabble or some kind of a problem that needs to be worked through. Uh, we'll keep growing, hopefully. So encouragement here, anyhow, is giving comfort to someone who needs it out of our own experience, out of the comfort that we ourselves have received.
Because sometimes that, inclu that includes uh, information or knowledge. <clears throat> uh, it gets back to that doctrine jazz again. Uh, sometimes someone needs a word of comfort by you taking something from the word and sharing with them. Reassurance. Uh, in this particular passage, though, uh, Paul is saying that the God's school for comforters is the fact that we've been through it so we can help someone else who's going through it. Well, okay, let's take a look at 1 John 3, 16 through 18. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. Well, last week it was this time and I had no more verses to do. This week I got three more pages. <laughs> you can't win. I'll just duplicate this off. You guys can have these right here to study from anytime you want. Someday I'm going to do that. Because I go to all these things, you know, they give me these print pages, and I go, okay, thanks, you know. So, <clears throat> one of these days. <laughs> one of these days, we're going to duplicate that off and just say, here, you know, mat dot matrix in the max, you know. Anyway, 1 John 3, uh, 16 through 18. By the way, you ever, you ever notice how many 316s there are in the word, you know, 2 Timothy 316, and this one, 1 John 316, and oh, there's a bunch of other 316s that are really special verses. Okay, you only named two, it's okay. 3.16, okay, through 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then he makes the application. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Well, what does that mean? Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him. So John approaches it from the negative. Rather than telling you what it means to lay down your life for your brother, he does it in the negative and says, if you don't, you don't have any God's love uh, at that point living in you. So in verse 18, Dear children, let us not love... Um, let me get it right. Yeah. Dear children, let us not love with words or with tongue, but with actions and with truth. Now, he's not saying here that you never give words of love or words of encouragement or words of anything else. He's saying here, uh, don't let it just be words, just be words, just be words. It's like James 2 where the guy says, be warm and be fed and be clothed and I hope you have a good meal tonight. See ya. You know, let me get back to what I'm doing here. Um, it's the idea that love needs to have actions attached to it. Sometimes the greatest encouragement can be the providing of a physical need. You know, when you're in need and you don't know how in the world God's going to supply and all of a sudden God takes care of a physical need that you have. Man, you can get wound up over that for a long time. Uh, God has really fun ways of providing for our needs. And that's to build our faith. We always forget what he did in the past, so he has to, you know, continually remind us because we're weak and we forget. Uh, sometime it would be good to keep a journal of all the different ways God provides. And... You can include in that all the normal ways that God provides, you know, through your job and, and the, the work that you do there and also just in uh, lots of other ways um, to keep some kind of a record of the ways that God has answered prayer. But um, the encouragement here is through actual physical provision. And again, it's a self-sacrificing type of, of thing. We bring encouragement to others by self-sacrifice. There's one more category, and I'm just going to tap on the thing before we have to stop. Um, we need to be aware or alert to the times when we can do the encouraging. 
I think this is where um, a lot of times we have our greatest problem. I just miss opportunities, and it bugs me. I, you know, after the fact, uh, I realize, oh, I could have done something there, and I missed it. Or what's even worse, and this is flesh coming through, but somebody else does it, and I go, ah, wish I'd done that. Now, why do we do that? Well, we do that because we want the thank yous that they're lavishing on the other person. You know, uh, somebody provides for somebody else, and... Uh, and, and the other person goes, oh, man, praise the Lord, thank you so much, I really appreciate it. And you go, ah, I wish I'd provided that, I wish I'd thought of that. Then they would have been thanking me. You know, well, that's just carnal pride, and you just confess it and get out of there with that. That's, we don't even have any, we don't need to have any room for that in our life. But I want to say to the Lord, God, make me aware of the opportunities and I can encourage people. Because it's so easy for us to be so self-absorbed that we miss all kinds of golden opportunities to, to give words of encouragement or to provide whatever it is a person needs at the moment. Proverbs 17, 17. Aha, we are in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 17, verse 17. Uh, Bill Zip referred to this a few weeks ago talking about friendship. But here's a, a verse that talks about the opportunity and it relates back to the first Corinthians or uh, relates back to the second Corinthians uh, 1, 3, and 4 thing. Proverbs 17:17. Uh, 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. One of the times when I can give encouragement is when somebody's going through adversity. You can count on that, that when someone's going through some kind of trouble or trial, they can always use a word of encouragement. I don't think I've ever been encouraged too much. You ever been encouraged too much? Oh, uh, no, you stop comforting me. You don't have to encourage me anymore. I've had enough today. Uh-uh, man. Just pour it on, baby. I don't care. You know, send 27 other people. I'm happy. You know, just go ahead. Boy, um, somebody, I don't know who it was, said it takes 46 compliments to make up for one word of criticism. <laughs> well, how much criticism do you get in an average day, you know? Go ahead, beat me. I don't care. Go back to my office and sulk. You know. And you go home and you want to get some encouragement there and all you get is all the stuff that's broken, you know, whatever. <laughs> Thanks a lot. You know, I really needed that. So, uh, we need to be alert uh, for when others are going through adversity. Uh, it means I've got to get my eyes off myself and onto the Lord and onto His people and, and also unbelievers. Do you know what a witnessing tool this can be? You see some unbeliever that's going through adversity, some kind of a problem or whatever it is, and you offer just what he needs at the right time. This involves self-sacrifice again, but um, we need to be alert for the other guys problem, the other guy's adversity. Uh, you know, what's going on at home with the people that you live with that you can help with a word of encouragement or some kind of provision, not just words, anything. Uh, what's going on with your kids? Are they going through some adversity? Uh, some of the best prayer times you can have are when your kid's facing a history test that's just, ugh. you know, now they may not tell you that. You go, hey, uh, daughter, son, how you feel about your history exam? Oh, man. It's either make it or break it, you know. I, if I don't get this one, I'm dust. Of course, they, sometimes they're afraid to tell you that because you're going, well, if you'd studied the whole semester, you wouldn't be in this trouble, which they don't want to hear. <laughs> but you know how much they've been messing around, right? Uh, but, you know, but is there some way at home we can encourage praying for different things or just 
listening or giving a word or whatever it is. What kind of adversity are we going through? And you also have to see it from the other person's point of view. To a three-year-old, losing your blanket is adversity. It's a major crisis, boy. You don't go anywhere without that blanket, you know. Last Sunday, I think Andrea left her. In, we have a three-and-a-half-year-old. If you don't know Andrea, she's a character. Uh, anyway, she left her blanket on the benches by the tree. We looked around in the nursery. We couldn't find it. We looked all over the place. Couldn't find it, everything else. And it was Panic City, man. Oh, my blanket. Well, that's a major crisis. You got to offer a little taste of encouragement, comfort, something to a kid that loses their blanket. And you figure, oh, come on, you know, it's just a rag. And it is, too. It's got holes in it, you know, peanut butter on it. You know, it's really bad news. But that's their blanket. You know, and we're, we're big adults. We go, oh, yeah, but we have our blankets, too. Just look around in your life. That's another little, you know, project you can work. What are my, what do I have as, as blankets? Well, anyway. That's another story. Uh, work. People at work need encouragement. The whole world is hopeless. And we tell them, hey, we have a hope. It's the Lord. Or if it's not that, maybe it's somebody that needs uh, some yard work done or something around their house or whatever. Or it can be encouragement that you can provide by uh, helping a, a workmate with his work. I'm not going to do his job. He can do his own dumb job, man, you know. How'd you like to do your, your, um, your worker's job at work? This may not always work. Uh, you can do your worker's job when he gets his appraisal he gets the praise for it that's exciting that's supernatural you can't normally do that uh, well fat we don't have time for the other ones one of the other, other ways that you can offer encouragement is to restore a brother that's fallen into sin and Galatians 6 talks about that we don't have time to look at it I mentioned before another way to encourage one another is to remind ourselves that Christ is coming back that's a huge encouragement we need to be aware of those times. Look for the opportunities, the adversity, the need we can meet, the, the way that we can provide the encouraging word. And just a project that you can be involved in for, for your day. Look around and say, Lord, who can I encourage? Who can I comfort? Who's going through some adversity? Who needs the word of good, sound, solid doctrine? Who needs me to just be there and listen? Uh, and maybe today you're in the other place where you say, Lord, I desperately need a word of encouragement. I need a word of encouragement from your word. I need a word of encouragement or I need some physical provision in my life. Father, would you send me somebody? You know, God is so faithful to, to answer that kind of a prayer. Uh, you know, to say, God, do something in my life today that's going to really wind me up and set me free. Uh, you know, just, you may be in that position right now where you say, oh man, I can't encourage anybody. I died, you know. It's just bad news. Well, if you're in that particular situation, you can read God's Word and be encouraged by that. You can receive comfort and encouragement from God's Spirit because He lives in you. But also, uh, pray and ask God send me Lord somebody that's going to look around and see my problem and give me a word of, of encouragement something that will move me to act someone that will come and provide help someone that will tell me don't give up keep going the race is, is, uh, is still on and you can hang in there with it don't give up here's some strength you need that yeah I need some strength here's some strength you need some financial provision or you need some kind of other thing? Yeah, you need that? Okay, here's some, 
Here's some provision. You need somebody to listen? Yeah, well, here's some of that. Now you can run a little bit better, can't you? Can't you run your race a little bit better because you've had somebody to listen? Yeah, I've had somebody to listen. You know, man. And usually, guys, we're all... All of us are in both places at different times. Uh, either as the encourager or the encouragee. <laughs> and uh, we need to keep in mind that God wants us to be involved in the ministry of encouraging one another. Let's pray, and uh, then we get to spend the whole day watching out for those opportunities. should be fun. Father, thank you, first of all, for the encouragement that comes from your word, from your spirit, from yourself living in us. Secondly, I thank you that you can use us to encourage others. Help us to be alert, Lord, for those opportunities of encouragement. Make us willing, Lord, to be self-sacrificing people, because that's not our nature. Our nature is... Uh, to grab and, and not to give. Teach us, Lord, that when we give, we receive. And that even that's not the right motivation for giving, to just get back. That's trading. But to give, Lord, because it's what you want. And Lord, I pray that you help us to be alert to those opportunities where we can help someone, where we can comfort, where we can encourage, Lord, by your word or by a listening or by a physical need that we can meet, whatever it may be. And Lord, I pray for anyone here that uh, needs to be encouraged right now, that's so down that he just says, I can't encourage anybody, I'm, I'm too dead myself. I pray, Lord, that you'll send some kind of encouragement today to that person's heart. Make him aware uh, to look for the opportunities to, to receive encouragement. May he be able to uh, ask you, Lord, send me someone or some situation or whatever it is today that will encourage me. May he be able to get into your word, Lord, and, and find encouragement there. And I pray your Holy Spirit would minister and remind him of, of the eternal things that don't change so that he would be encouraged.